0: section 36 of ruddergrange this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org ruddergrange by frank r stockton chapter 18 our tavern part 2 the newcomer entered the gate he was a dark man with black hair and black whiskers and mustache and black eyes he wore clothes that had been black but which were now toned down by a good deal of dust And, as I have said, he carried a black valise. "'Why did you stop here?' said I, rather inhospitably. "'Don't you know that we do not accommodate?' "'Yes, I know,' he said, walking up on the piazza and setting down his valise, "'that you only take soldiers, sailors, farmers, and mechanics at this house. I have been told all about it, and if I had not thoroughly understood the matter, I should not have thought of such a thing as stopping here. If you will sit down for a few moments, I will explain.' Saying this, he took a seat on a bench by the door, but Euphemia and I continued to stand. "'I am,' he continued, "'a soldier, a sailor, a farmer, and a mechanic. Do not doubt my word. I will prove it to you in two minutes. When but seventeen years of age, circumstances compelled me to take charge of a farm in New Hampshire, and I kept up that farm until I was twenty-five. During this time I built several barns, wagon-houses, and edifices of the sort on my place and becoming an expert in this branch of mechanical art, I was much sought after by neighboring farmers, who employed me to do similar work for them. In time I found this new business so profitable that I gave up farming altogether. But certain unfortunate speculations threw me on my back, and finally, having gone from bad to worse, I found myself in Boston, where in sheer desperation I went on board a coasting vessel as a landsman. I remained on this vessel for nearly a year, but it did not suit me. I was often sick, and I did not like the work. I left the vessel at one of the southern ports, and it was not long after she sailed that, finding myself utterly without means, I enlisted as a soldier. I remained in the army for some years, and was finally honorably discharged. So you see, what I said was true. I belong to each and all of these businesses and professions. And now that I have satisfied you on this point, let me show you a book for which I have the agency in this country. He stooped down, opened his valise, and took out a good-sized volume. "'This book,' said he, "'is the flora and fauna of Carthage County. It is written by one of the first scientific men of the country, and gives you a description, with an authentic woodcut, of each of the plants and animals of the county, indigenous or naturalized. Owing to peculiar advantages enjoyed by our firm, we are enabled to put this book at the very low price of $3.75.' It is sold by subscription only, and should be on the center table in every parlor in this county. If you will glance over this book, sir, you will find it as interesting as a novel, and as useful as an encyclopedia. I don't want the book, I said, and I don't care to look at it. But if you were to look at it, you would want it, I'm sure. That's a good reason for not looking at it, then, I answered. If you came to get us to subscribe for that book, we need not take up any more of your time, for we shall not subscribe." "'Oh, I did not come for that alone,' he said. "'I shall stay here to-night and start out in the morning to work up the neighborhood. If you would like this book, and I'm sure you only have to look at it to do that, you can deduct the money of my bill from the subscription price and—' "'What did you say you charged for this book?' asked Euphemia, stepping forward and picking up the volume. Three seventy-five is the subscription price, ma'am, but that book is not for sale. That is merely a sample.' If you put your name down on my list, you will be served with your book in two weeks. As I told your husband, it will come very cheap to you, because you can deduct what you charge me for supper, lodging, and breakfast. Indeed, said my wife, and then she remarked that she must go in the house and get supper. When will supper be ready? the man asked, as she passed him. At first she did not answer him, but then she called back, In about half an hour. Good, said the man, but I wish it was ready now. And now, sir, if you would just glance over this book while we are waiting for supper. I cut him very short and went out into the road. I walked up and down in front of the house in a bad humor. I could not bear to think of my wife getting supper for this fellow, who was striding about on the piazza, as if he were very hungry and very impatient. Just as I returned to the house, the bell rang from within. Joyful sound, said the man, and in he marched. I followed close behind him. On one end of the table, in the kitchen, supper was set for one person, and, as the man entered, Euphemia motioned him to the table. The supper looked like a remarkably good one. A cup of coffee smoked by the side of the plate, there was ham and eggs and a small omelet, there were fried potatoes, some fresh radishes, a plate of hot biscuit, and some preserves. The man's eyes sparkled. "'I am sorry,' said he, "'that I am to eat alone, for I had hoped to have your good company.' "'But if this plan suits you, it suits me,' and he drew up a chair. "'Stop,' said Euphemia, advancing between him and the table. "'You are not to eat that. "'This is a sample supper. "'If you order a supper like it, one will be served to you in two weeks.' "'At this I burst into a roar of laughter. "'My wife stood pale and determined, and the man drew back, "'looking first at one of us, and then at the other. "'Am I to understand?' he said. "'Yes,' I interrupted, "'you are. "'There is nothing more to be said on this subject.' You may go now. You came here to annoy us, knowing that we do not entertain travelers, and now you see what you have made by it. And I opened the door. The man evidently thought that a reply was not necessary, and he walked out without a word. Taking up his valise, which he had put in the hall, he asked if there was any public house nearby. No, I said, but there is a farmhouse a short distance down the road, where they will be glad to have you. And down the road he went to Mrs. Carson's. I am sorry to say that he sold her a flora and fauna before he went to bed that night. We were much amused at the termination of this affair, and I became, if possible, a still greater admirer of Euphemia's talents for management. But we both agreed that it would not do to keep up the sign any longer. We could not tell when the irate driver might not pounce down upon us with a customer. "'But I hate to take it down,' said Euphemia. "'It looks so much like a surrender.' "'Do not trouble yourself,' said I. "'I have an idea.' The next morning I went down to Danny Carson's little shop, he was a wheelwright as well as a farmer, and I got from him two pots of paint, one black and one white, and some brushes. I took down our sign and painted out the old lettering, and instead of it I painted, in bold and somewhat regular characters, new names for our tavern. On one side of the sign I painted, soap and Bookbinders Hotel, and on the other side, Upholsterer's and Dentist's House. Now then, I said, I don't believe any of these people will be traveling along the road while we are here, or at any rate they won't want to stop. We admired this sign very much, and sat on the piazza that afternoon, to see how it would strike Bill as he passed by. It seemed to strike him pretty hard, for he gazed with all his eyes at one side of it as he approached, and then, as he passed it, he actually pulled up to read the other side. All right, he called out as he drove off. All right, all right. Euphemia didn't like the way he said all right. It seemed to her, she said, as if he intended to do something which would be all right for him, but not at all so for us. I saw she was nervous about it, for that evening she began to ask me questions about the traveling propensities of soap-makers, upholsterers, and dentists. "'Do not think any more about that, my dear,' I said. "'I will take the sign down in the morning. We are here to enjoy ourselves, and not to be worried.' And yet, said she, it would worry me to think that that driver frightened us into taking down the sign. I tell you what I wish you would do. Paint out those names, and let me make a sign. Then I promise you I will not be worried. The next day, therefore, I took down the sign and painted out my inscriptions. It was a good deal of trouble, for my letters were fresh, but it was a rainy day, and I had plenty of time, and I succeeded tolerably well. Then I gave Euphemia the black paint-pot and the freedom of the sign i went down to the creek to try a little fishing in wet weather and when i returned the new sign was done on one side it read flies and wasps hotel on the other hundred leggers and red ants house you see said euphemia if any individuals mentioned thereon apply for accommodation we can say we are full this sign hung triumphantly for several days when one morning just as we had finished breakfast we were surprised to hear the stage stop at the door and before we could go out to see who had arrived, into the room came our own stage-driver, as we used to call him. He had actually left his team to come and see us. "'I just thought I'd stop and tell you,' said he, "'that if you don't look out, Bill'll get you into trouble. He's bound to get the best of you, and I heard this morning at Lowry's that he's a goin' to bring the county clerk up here to-morrow to see about your license for keepin' a hotel.' He says you keep changing your signs, but that don't differ to him, for he can prove you've kept travelers overnight. And if you haven't got no license, he'll make the county clerk come down on you heavy, I'm sure of that, for I know Bill. And so I thought I'd stop and tell you. I thanked him, and admitted that this was a rather serious view of the case. Euphemia pondered a moment. Then she said, I don't see why we should stay here any longer. It's going to rain again, and our vacation is up tomorrow anyway. Could you wait a little while while we pack up? "'She said to the driver. "'Oh, yes,' he replied. "'I can wait as well as not. "'I've only got one passenger, and he's on top a-holdin' the horses. "'He ain't in any hurry, I know, and I'm ahead of time. "'In less than twenty minutes we had packed our trunk, locked up the house, and we were in the stage, and as we drove away we cast a last admiring look at Euphemia's sign, slowly swinging in the wind. "'I would much like to know if it is swinging there yet. "'I feel certain there has been no lack of custom.' We stopped at Mrs. Carson's, paid her what we owed her, and engaged her to go up to the tavern and put things in order. She was very sorry we were going, but hoped we would come back again some other summer. We said that it was quite possible that we might do so, but that next time we did not think we would try to have a tavern of our own. End of section 36.